Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Sloya, your host. And again and again, as we say in the Byzantine liturgy, again and again, and in Slavonic we would say, Paki, Paki, means again and again. We bring to you the sounds of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. That was the music, the chant you heard opening our program today, sung by the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir of Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to a piece from their Theosis CD. That's the Theosis CD. You can find out about that by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. We're playing this music today, this chant, this prayer for you, especially because this is the week of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, which we've been inviting and urging all of you to try to attend, at least in some form, to at least in some length of it, even though it goes on for a very long time. You're welcome to be there at the beginning, all the way through the end, but if not, whatever part of it you can endure, please, we ask you, urge you, because it's an experience, an immersion. So that's the best way to learn about the Eastern churches. You know, we try to convey the best we can through this wonderful medium of radio, the Eastern churches, their genius, their gift. But believe me, the best way is to immerse yourself in it. And the best way to immerse yourself in an Eastern church, any Eastern church, is to immerse yourself in its prayer, especially its liturgical prayer, and most especially during the very high, very liturgical seasons, such as the Siege of the Great Fast and Easter, or even around Christmas time. But this especially, our great, great genius, the way we kind of in a good way sort of show what we really got. Our great strength, our great depth is during the Lenten season and also the season of Pascha Easter. That's really, really where you see the, the, the Eastern churches at their very, very, very best. So again, the St. Andrew Crete Canon will be celebrated at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois at seven o'clock, beginning at seven o'clock, and it will go on and on 
at 7 o'clock. It begins on Thursday. This coming Thursday, March 22nd. That's March 22nd, Thursday at 7 p.m., Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. And go to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, for more information or give us a phone call, 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. We have a marvelous week this fifth week of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar because we had only this, the great canon of Sandra of Crete. And by the way, we did celebrate this canon in sections throughout. We sort of stretched it throughout the first week of Lent in our church. That is the tradition of the Eastern Church. And actually, in my parish of Annunciation, it's the first year we actually did this. And I did it because as I, as a pastor, I'm calling my own parish to an especially intense experience and observance, immersion into the rigors of the Lenten season on behalf of the world and the church and our country because of what is happening today. This clash is happening between the church and our government over certain issues, and it's I'm afraid it's only going to get worse, and that's only because these things have been brewing for a long time, and now the veil has finally come off of it. So we have to brace ourselves for what may lay ahead, and the best way to encounter that is to do so as they do in the Scripture through prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, and charity. But it's a charity that is a charity marked by the virtues of prudence and fortitude. We have to be strong in our faith, be very forthright, be very credible, but we have to have all that animated by the graces that come only through combining prayer with fasting. And that's why I think it's so providential that this period we're moving into, this tension between the church and our nation, our government, our culture, is happening especially during this Lenten season, when in fact we do move into the rigors of prayer and fasting and repentance. You know, like the Ninevites, sackcloth and ashes, as we see in the Bible all over the place in many, many passages. Whenever the Israelites wanted to help their nation, when their nation was in trouble morally or they were under domination by enemies, which of course for them were the personification of evil, they were called to prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting they wore sackcloth and ashes and and went wailing and shedding tears in the streets. I mean, for real, real repentance. And that's what we're called to also. I think that's going to be our strongest weapon, our greatest strategy to face what we have to face as church, both East and West. So prayer and fasting. And again, another reminder, come to the Sandra of Crete this week, Thursday, March 22nd at 7 p.m., Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. So we have the St. Andrew Creed, but we also have today, this Sunday, the fourth Sunday of the Great Fast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have this Sunday of St. John Climacus, or St. John of the Ladder, or St. John of the Ladder of Divine Ascent. And also, one more thing this week, it ends with another great event, and that is the what's called Akathist Saturday. Now, Akathist Saturday, and it's interesting that this year it happens to fall on Saturday, March 24th, which is the day before March 25th which is the Feast of the Annunciation. Annunciation is on March 25th, which happens also to be my parish feast day, proud to say. But on the day before, it happens to land on the day before, and always on this particular Saturday during the Lenten season, it just so happens that this year it does fall exactly before March 25th, we celebrate the Akathist. An Akathist is, again, like the Andrew Crete, a part of an elaborate matins service, but the section is dedicated to prayers to the Mother of God. And what we do is we actually go, once again, through Scripture, and we sort of snatch phrases from Scripture and also paraphrases presented very poetically, and we come up with all kinds of ways, just on and on and on, so many different ways to describe the Virgin Mary through 
prayer, you know, through a prayerful service called the Akathist service, a very beautiful prayer. It's kind of like the Byzantine liturgical answer to the rosary. In other words, it honors Mary in a, in a very, very elaborate, sublime way, very poetic and beautiful way. At the same time, honoring Mary, just like with the rosary, is also making us mindful of Jesus Christ. The two are inseparable. So what you do with one, you also affirm in the other. So the Akathist comes because it comes just before the fifth Sunday of Lent, but it does so because it really it's a preparation for the Annunciation, which always falls in the Lenten season. When it does in the Eastern Church, it takes priority over everything, believe it or not. In fact, you should see the years sometimes when the liturgical calendar is such that the <laughs> the Annunciation falls on Good Friday. How about that for liturgical nightmare? <laughs> Our liturgists really have to go to town and <laughs> and stretch their abilities to limit to figure out how, what do we do with that? Wow. How do you celebrate, do justice to both of those incredible events? One of them being the beginning of it all and the other one being the part of the culmination of it all. You know, the Annunciation is the beginning of Christ coming into the world in the flesh. And of course, Good Friday is when he offers his flesh on the cross when he dies in the flesh, and then, of course, rises with that flesh. In other words, he rises with his body, and in doing so, comes to the culmination of his earthly ministry, his death and resurrection on the cross. But that begins, of course, with the Annunciation. So, two incredible events that come together during the Lenten season, and sometimes on the same day. It happens rarely, but it does happen. So, the Akathist St. John Climacus and also the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete makes this a very, very rich week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar for this season of the Great Fast. We're going to look very closely at St. John Climacus today because this is the Sunday of St. John Climacus. And then next Sunday, well, ordinarily would be the Sunday of St. Mary of Egypt. In other words, we celebrate back-to-back Sundays of two ascetics, one a man and one a woman. But this year, well, the Mother of God, the Incarnation, The Annunciation takes precedence. So this next Sunday will be March 25th. So that will take precedence over St. Mary of Egypt. However, we will read St. Mary of Egypt's story during the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete this coming Thursday. That's part of the tradition. It's part of what we do is sort of pause. And we read this marvelous story of St. Mary of Egypt during the canon of St. Andrew of Crete. And the story is about her life, her conversion, a life in the desert, and her encounter with a priest named Zosimus, fascinating, very moving story, full of great character development and dialogue. Well, we're going to talk more about St. John Climacus, our saint for today, this fourth Sunday in the liturgical calendar of the great season of the great fast in the Byzantine Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, a special Lenten invitation from Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. There's a magnificent service that we pray in our church during the fifth week of Lent. 
is called the service of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This service is of timeless duration, but we invite you to experience any part of it throughout the night. There will also be an opportunity for confession. And if you stay for any part of this service, I guarantee you, you'll start to be moved to want to go to confession. It's a profound, profound journey into the whole phenomenon of repentance. As you walk through the Bible with all the Bible verses, the beautiful chants, the prostrations. And it's just this incredible journey to enter into. Starting at 7, Thursday evening, March 22nd at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. The Great Canon of St. Andrew of Crete. Complete details on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. Be moved by this great Lenten experience. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Okay, we're back. Welcome again to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loy on this magnificent fourth Sunday in the Great Fast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, which we're observing St. John Climacus. Before we get back to our study of St. John Climacus, I want to let you know that I will be speaking, along with other speakers, at a major conference on the theology of the body in the Chicago area. It'll be Saturday, March 31st. That's Saturday, March 31st. It starts at 7.30 a.m. and it goes to about 3.45 p.m. It's a Theology Body Conference, Blessed John Paul II's Anthropological Vision. John Paul II's Anthropological Vision. Again, March 31st, Saturday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. is going to be at the Chicago Marriott Oakbrook. That's 1401 West 22nd Street in Oakbrook, Illinois. 1401 West 22nd Street in Oakbrook, Illinois. That's the Chicago Marriott Oakbrook. And for information, you can go to the Archdiocese of Chicago website. That's archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. And look for the Respect Life Office. Again, that's the Theology Body Conference. I'll be speaking there along with a number of other speakers. March 31st, that's a Saturday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Climacus means climber or ladder. And he has that name because he wrote a classic work on spirituality called The Ladder of Divine Ascent. And we're going to read a little bit about St. John Climacus, his life. He lived in the desert of Sinai, the foot of Moses' mount. And the surroundings would remind him of Exodus and Moses climbing the mount alone to talk to God. But John also was reminded of another mountain, the mountain of Tabor. 
where Lord was transfigured before three disciples. You might remember that story, Peter, James, and John on the Mount Tabor. And a church was built on this mount in 556 by Emperor Justinian, and a huge mosaic of Christ's transfiguration in the apse at the east end was put in that church. Now, John's imagination then was influenced by both mountains, Sinai and Tabor, and this can be seen in his book, The Latter Divine Ascent, because in very Byzantine style, the Byzantine spirituality, I can't emphasize enough, is very integrated. It's very both and. His latter divine ascent talks not only about penitence and self-denial, but about joy and man's entry into divine glory. So, see, Sinai would be sort of the penance and the fasting part of it. And, you know, with the laws and so like that, you know, the what thou shalt not and so on. It has a lot to do then with, you know, being good or bad, as it were. But the other part of it then, Mount Tabor, has a lot to do with that image of the glory of God and our glory of our humanness as it was revealed through Christ's transfiguration on the mount. So again, we have that both and integration of the Eastern spirituality reflected in John's work, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. Now, what happened, John, at age 16, he came to Sinai. At that time, they had three forms of monastic life referred to in his book. Inside the monastery walls near the church lived the monastic brotherhood under the direction of an abbot. Then the second form were hermits who were scattered throughout the area. And the third form of monasticism that he knew was small groups who lived as close-knit families under the guidance of a spiritual father. So during his lifetime, John Climacus knew all these three types of Eastern monasticism. Now, after his profession as a monk at age 19, he became a hermit. And while he was in solitude, he received the gift of tears reducing his sleeping, and he fasted moderately, ate everything allowed by the monastery, but in extremely small amounts. Now, this gift of tears is very interesting. In the East and West, we have our respective mystical signs. In the West, you hear things of like the stigmatas, you know, people having the stigmatas where their hands and their their body actually portray the, the actual wounds of Christ. Well, in the East, a lot of the mystics would have what they call the light of Tabor, or even the gift of tears. In other words, the sense of their own repentance, their own sinfulness was so profound in them, because they were so holy, so in contrast, even the littlest sin bothered them, they would actually have a what they call a gift of tears. They would actually repent with real tears on behalf of themselves and really the sins of others. So John had that gift while he was a hermit. Now, after 40 years as a hermit, John was elected abbot of the central monastery of Sinai, which was against his will, which always seemed to happen with these holy people. They were always put into these positions against their will because they thought those positions would, would corrupt them because they had a certain amount of, well, power to them, I guess. It was during his life as an abbot that he wrote his book, A Ladder of Divine Ascent, at the request of a superior of a nearby monastery. John was asked to write in the book and send to the monastery the divine vision he had seen upon the mountain, as did Moses in the Old Testament. Now, shortly before John died, he longed to return to solitude, so he resigned his position as an abbot. And again, this is so commonly the story with these great holy people. They were called to serve the church because they were so capable and and holy. They were called to serve the church in administrative ways, and they always wanted to kind of bow out of that eventually and retire back to the monastery. So there was no there was no sense of 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 like ego in them, no pride of like you know grasping at and wanting the the ego and the acknowledgement of having some kind of ecclesiastical position. They just wanted to be holy, just wanted to pray and fast in the desert. So he appointed his brother, George, to replace him. And there was no indication John was ever ordained a priest. It seemed like he just remained a monk all his life. Now, in the latter divine ascent, 
we have what we call a, a kind of a process or like a ladder, stages of the spiritual life would have to do with perhaps something you've heard. Those of you are listening, you may have heard this is kind of classic to the spiritual life. First, it's renunciation, then it's illumination, and then it's union. In other words, we first die to self through very ascetic rigors like we do during Lent, you know, prayer, fasting, repentance, and that then begins to illuminate us. In other words, we begin to open ourselves more to grace and to a better vision of life. As we see life more mystically, more, which means more correctly, and as we grow in that path, we enter more deeply into a union with God, a kind of a mystical union. In other words, you come to know God intimately, you like, you, like the way you know someone that you really, really love. It's something like I often see with married couples who have been happily married for many, many years, you know, 50 years, 60 years, 40 years. They just seem to know each other so well. You know, there's a kind of an intimacy there that goes even beyond words, just being in each other's presence. They are well aware of one another. It's kind of a mystical kind of closeness. And that's something like what happens in our relationship with God if we've gone through the other two stages. Well, John breaks the stages down into many stages. In other words, steps. And some of those steps he has, of course, little commentaries on. And we'll look at some of those things. Like, for instance, the stage of detachment. He says, We should be careful in case it should happen to us that while talking of journeying along the narrow and hard road, we may actually wander onto the broad and wide highway. How about this on obedience? Those who submit to the Lord with simple heart will run the good race. If they keep their minds on leash, he says, they will not draw the wickedness of demons unto themselves. Then for penitence. Repentance is the renewal of baptism and is a contract with God for a fresh start in life. Repentance is the daughter of hope and the refusal to despair. Then there's remembrance of death. These are all, I'm pulling out several of the steps in John's latter descent. The remembrance of death. Someone has said that you cannot pass a day devoutly unless you think of it as your last. Yeah, that's always been a very powerful one for me, and I offer that to you. And many of the spiritual writers will say that, that if you just think of your own death, the possibility of your own death, and judgment, of course, every day, even for a few minutes, even for a flashing moment, it, it will change you. It will change your life. So the spiritual writers and the great mystics like John, Climacus, the ascetics, always would say, think every day about the brevity of your life. Even the scripture says that, the brevity of our life. And that with that brevity comes, of course, judgment. You've really thought about that. How would you act? Would you linger very long at all in despondency and anger and bitterness? No, you wouldn't because you think to yourself, I'm wasting precious moments that I cannot retrieve. I am here on this earth for a very short time. An unbelievably short time. If I live to be 500 years old, it's still a very short time. I've got one chance at it. Why waste even a single second in non-productive anger, you know, self-pity, narcissism? So it's a, it's a powerful, powerful stage on this latter divine ascent. In fact, relative to that are things like despondency. He says, at the third hour, the devil of tedium causes shivering, headache, and vertigo. By the ninth hour, the patient has recovered his strength, and when dinner is ready, he jumps out of bed. But now, when the time for prayer comes, his body begins to languish once more. (laughs) He's talking about that sort of internal laziness we have. Ever notice that? When you want to do something, all of a sudden you start feeling tired? Well, the latter divine ascent has many great pearls of wisdom, and we are very, very fortunate in the church to have an ascetic like 
John Climacus, John the Ladder of Divine Ascent, who teaches us that we grow in union with God, which is the point of Lent, to be transformed, to come closer to Christ through saying no to ourselves, dying, renunciation, opening ourselves to grace step by step through the different ladders, different stages of the ladder, and drawing into a much deeper union with God. That is why we call Lent the bright sadness. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>